What I found as I was reading through the accounts is we have, um, we have some shepherds that went and, and sought out Jesus, right? Uh, a couple years, actually, after Jesus was born, the wise men showed up. Um, if you didn't know that, uh, I mean, it's, it's always kind of like, what, really? Um, our, uh, our timing's off just a little bit. He was a young boy by the time that they got there. Um, but they, they came to seek him out. Um, and we see that there's going to be this man in Luke chapter 2 by the name of, uh, of Simeon. Uh, who's going to be looking for the Lord up there in the Temple Mount. He's directed there. And what I found was interesting in Scripture are these people that were seeking out the Lord, seeking, they were waiting for the Savior. Uh, The shepherds, of course, they're out there in the fields, and the angels show up. And if the angels tell you uh, the the Messiah has just been born in Bethlehem, you know, of course they're going to go there. But they still went to seek him out. You know, and Scripture, Scripture tells us, that um, uh, God says that um, you will find me whenever you seek me, when you seek me with what? With all of your heart, that God says you will find me if that's the desire of your heart. And for this man, Simeon, that we study here this morning, his life was based upon uh, the anticipation of when is he going to be able to see the Messiah. So there's several things that we have to learn here from his life that I think we can just transfer over right to our lives. But it was always this desire and this expectation, this anticipation of the one who was to come. So we pick up in Luke chapter 2. We're going to do verses 22 through 35. Um, and uh, we, unfortunately, we don't have time to go from uh, the other five verses, 36 through 40. Um, but that talks about a prophetess uh, by the name of Anna um, that we're not going to have time to spend on this morning. But, um, but I want you at another time to go ahead and read through. It's just a few verses there. And you can kind of glean from her life uh, some similar things that we're going to glean from Simeon's life here this morning. So let's begin by prayer. And Father, we thank you. For your gift, we gather together to worship you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Father, we thank you for our salvation that you have provided us with, not by our works, but Father, just by simply trusting in your word and what you said you would do. So Father, as we look into the life of Simeon this morning and we see his interaction with, uh, with baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph, um, Father, may we desire and embrace that same kind of interaction um, with our Messiah, with our Savior. And the body says... It says that in verse 22, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So this is kind of the stage that's being set. This is Jesus's eighth day uh, of life. They were commanded that uh, the males uh, would come there uh, on the eighth day to be circumcised. But also this is special because this is their firstborn male and they're coming to Jerusalem as prescribed by the law of Moses. They're going to consecrate or they're going to devote him to the Lord. Uh, He's also going to be circumcised at this particular time. And there's going to be an offering that is to be made on his behalf. 
Um, now, the offerings, if you remember when we studied this way back uh, as we're going through some of the law, um, if somebody were to bring in this particular offering some doves or pigeons, it would mean that they were in poverty. It was, it was the lowest level of gift giving that you could bring when you're consecrating that firstborn son. Somebody who had much more wealth would bring something uh, of greater value. But here, so we kind of get that picture that Mary and Joseph, they are those paupers. They, they, are, they are poor at this particular time. The wise men, you might be saying, well, I thought those wise men uh, had shown up and gave them, you know, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, That's not till probably about a couple years after this point that the wise men are going to show up. So Mary and Joseph are going to Jerusalem. It's what the law of Moses required. They're going to dedicate Jesus to the Lord. They're going to get, dedicate, you know, the Messiah to the Lord or God to God. Um, and, uh, and so here they are, and they're on this trip. And to them, they don't have any expectation that anything unusual is going to happen. But man, I tell you what, they run into these two people, Simeon and Anna, and their minds just must have been blown by what they experienced. And this is what happened. Verse 25 says, there is a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. Now, just uh, for you note takers, that name Simeon, it can mean to hear or to listen. Uh, Obedience is also a a word that is linked to that. Um, Also, another uh, definition of it is is little badger. Um, But I don't think that that's going to apply to our Bible study here this morning. So it could be an obedient or a little badger. Um, and uh, yeah. And so it says um, that, uh, so we're going to go with the obedient, the one who hears or listens. And there's a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. And he was righteous and he was devout. Once again, whenever I read phrases like this, I think about what we studied back in Joshua 1 on Tuesday. And it said, Moses, the servant of God. And he told Joshua, you know, Moses was my servant. And here, what Luke is telling us, and Luke is kind of getting firsthand accounts from people. He didn't have a personal firsthand account, but he's going to people and saying, hey, you know what, you know what, what was going on in these scenarios? And it says this about this man, Simeon. There's uh, about four things that we're going to note about his life here this morning. The first one was that he was righteous. He was righteous. And it's interesting that um, when we talk about righteousness, we typically think about that as the New Testament person and being right with God. And we say that the definition of righteous is what? Being right with God. But this is this particular guy. He was right with God. He observed, you might say, the divine law of God. He observed, maybe a better way to say it, the, the spiritual law uh, of God. And he... Um, let's go ahead and can you grab, I think, do you have, somebody have a phone? Oh, you have, do you have something with a battery in it? Okay. Um, if you can, is it okay if we grab that real quick? Okay. Alicia, can you grab that for her real quick? Okay, you can turn it off. Okay. Um, I just didn't want to come to like, you know, the climax of the point and then, you know, you're fine, you're fine, we're all good. It's Christmas, so we're extra forgiving, right? Um, so anyways, uh, I didn't even know Willie had a cell phone. I mean, guess what? Willie's got a cell phone. (laughs) All right. Blessings on you. We all forget. We all forget. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, it says that he was a righteous man. 
Now, in Simeon's day, first century Palestinian Judaism, uh, the Jews had uh, the Jews had the law of God, the word of God. Um, that was given back, and we studied in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. That was the law. That was the word of God. And when God had given that law, starting there on Mount Sinai and then uh, continuing forward through the end of Deuteronomy as Moses was writing all of that out, the law signified for mankind what God's ideal image would be for man. The perfect image of man would be able to fulfill all that God had said. And as God gave out that law to the people, what he wanted them to understand is whenever they compared their life to God's ideal image, they were supposed to find themselves what? Lacking, insufficient, incapable. They were supposed to essentially see that they're separated from God because they can't be his ideal. They can't be what God's ideal of perfection is. As a matter of fact, when the law was given, the point of it was that nobody would ever fulfill that except for one man. And that when that man came on the scene, when that individual, the Messiah or the Mashiach of the Old Testament came on the scene, they were to take God's word and they were to line it up against his life and they would say, this is God's word, this is his, this is his ideal image for man. And whenever the Messiah would show up, they would take God's word and compare it to him and they would say, hey, we know this is the Messiah because he fulfills God's ideal image for man. I don't fulfill it. You don't fulfill it, Lenny. And Greg, you don't fulfill it. But this Yeshua of Nazareth, he fulfills God's word. Now what the Jews did with this, and most of you guys know this is just kind of a little redundant history lesson here. What the Jews did, instead of looking at the spiritual nature of what God was saying, they crafted, they got, their, they got the meaty hands of man into God's word, and they fabricated a system of do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs. Go here, don't go here. Taste this, don't taste that. Don't touch this, touch this, and so forth. Uh, dress exactly this way. Uh, travel certain distances. And what they did was they took God's word that was supposed to be God's picture of the ideal man. And what they did is they manipulated it in a sense to where they felt like they could fulfill God's, God's ideal for, a, um, for an ideal man by following the rules and regulations and so forth. We'll pause for just a moment. <laughs> oh, you're fine. Those cell phones are crazy. And, uh, and so anyways, what the Jews did is they took God's word that was only supposed to prove that one man would ever be God's ideal picture of mankind. And they took that and they, they manipulated it in a sense that they felt like they, they crafted a religious system of do's and don'ts to where they felt like they could obey, they could be that picture of God's ideal man by simply following his word. But you and I know that the whole purpose of the law that Paul would tell us, the whole purpose of the law is to show us that we can't be that ideal person. And why can't you and I be that ideal person apart from Christ Jesus? The reason is because of our nature. Because our nature always pulls us down. Our nature does what? It always what? It always pulls us down. It's always Christ, like Peter uh, in, the, in the water there. It's Christ that reaches down and is pull. It's God pulling man up to himself. 
And the ideal image we struggle with because we want to be something sometimes. And all of mankind wants to be, everybody wants to be good. Everybody wants to be right. Everybody wants to be looked up to and, and, uh, and seen as something that's great and so forth. But we know that our nature can't do it. So the only way that God can deal, how he can ever deal with us in the place where we're at is he has to deal with our old nature, right? He has to deal with our sin and our old self. And that was the whole picture of the law, was that mankind would be looking and waiting for the Messiah or the Savior, God's plan of salvation, to come to fulfillment. Simeon was one of those men. We have several in the New Testament that, that are listed. This is not exhausted, but John the Baptist's dad was listed as righteous. Um, Joseph, uh, the, father, uh, the father of Jesus, he was labeled as a righteous man. And what that means is this, is when we go back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, we see the first proclamation of a man being declared right with God. And you guys have heard this numerous times from me. And Abraham believed God and what? Righteousness was credited to his account. That's right. And Abraham, righteousness was credited to him, not because of what he did, but because of what? Because his belief that God would send a savior one day. That God's word was true. That his word was right. That his word would not fail. And Abraham trusted in all of that with all of his heart, right? And when you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with what? With all of it. And that's what Abraham did. Was he perfect? Did he still have some huge failures? Yeah, absolutely. But he was a man who was seeking God. Matter of fact... And that's what we see in the man of Simeon. It says that he was righteous. He was looking for not the do's and don'ts of religion. He was looking for what the spiritual aspect of the law was saying. The spiritual aspect of the law was saying this. It is by grace you are saved through faith. It cannot be by your works. It's going to be a gift of God. Otherwise, you would what? You would brag or you would boast about it and that God would make a way for you to be saved. The majority of other people in Jerusalem believe that they would be saved according to what they do. Matter of fact, if you ask a Jewish person today, how is it that you are saved? Because they don't have the temple sacrifice, right? There's no temple in Jerusalem for them to sacrifice at. Not that the Muslims would allow that right now anyways. But if you ask a Jewish person today, how are you saved? They will tell you, I'm saved by my what? By my good works. And guys, let me say that goes far beyond Jewish people. That goes into the majority of human beings in this world. It's the lie that Satan spreads that if you are a good enough person, and maybe if you do some wrongs young, in, in your younger years uh, and, you, and you rectify those in your later years, that, that you've paid for that, you've, you've, you've turned the wrong to a right, so now you're back in a position of goodness with God. But see, Simeon, he didn't believe that. It says he was a righteous man, and it simply tells us this. He believed in God's word. Also tells us this about him. He wasn't only a righteous man, but next, what's the next word that describes him? He was the devout man. What that word means, devout in the Greek, it means to take a hold of well. He grabbed a hold of God's promises of his truth and he grabbed a hold of it and he's not letting go of it. I mean, he has his hand on God's promises. It's just like when Peter said, where else shall we go, Jesus, for you have the words of eternal life. What Peter's saying is, we're clinging to you. There's nothing else out there for us. 
And you see what I like about Simeon was his hope and his faith and his trust. It wasn't in anything else in this world except for God's word. Just like Abraham, right? I mean, Abraham did. I just say he, he had some slip-ups. But that's what we see when you look into Hebrews chapter 11. You see those men, they were trusting in God's word. And it says that he was a righteous man. He was a devout man. And he was, uh, verse 25b, he was waiting. He was waiting. This is the most powerful word to me in this particular study here. Um, well, maybe the top one or two. He was waiting. Now, what that word waiting in the Greek means is, you know, we think of waiting as, you know, okay, well, you know, somebody's going to come get me and I guess I'll just sit here and wait a little while. It's not what it means. That Greek word to wait, it means this, to open oneself to receive. And what it means is this, that man Simeon, he knew God's word and he was trusting in God's word and he was clinging to God's word. And what he did was he opened up his heart to God and said, I'm waiting for you to come in to me and to be my Lord, to be my savior, to be my God, to pay the penalty for my sin to save me from the consequences of sin and death. And he was a man who said, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. As a matter of fact, that word, uh, it gives us the concept of how it may be used would be the physical intimacy between a man and a woman. It's that full receiving. And that's the man that Simeon was. He not only put his faith in God's word, he was clinging to it and he opened up his heart. He opened up his life. Just like when Jesus says, into your hand, Father, on the cross, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And what Simeon is saying is, I am your servant. I am your servant. Come into my life. And he lived his life with a great expectation that God was going to fulfill that in his life. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word consolation, you can just simply note there uh, in your margin or above it or, or in your notes. It just means comforter. Or uh, the other word was, um, uh, well, we'll just go with comforter. Uh, peace, the one who would bring peace and who would comfort. It's linked to that word. Uh, this word is, um, it's a para, um, it's similar to the, to the paraclete. Uh, this word particularly here, it has the idea of whenever Jesus says, when I go, I'll come again and I'll send the comforter. That's the parakletos. And this is the word that it's saying, this consolation. It's, it's linked to that word. It has the root of that same word in it, meaning that what Simeon was waiting for was he was waiting for the one that would bring peace, not only to his life, but also bring, bring peace to Jerusalem and to all the world. You see, he was still looking for that peace in his life. He was still looking for that comforter to come in, in, into his life. So he's a man who understood that God's word, he looked beyond the rule and the regulation and the law and the legalism, and he understood the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law was always saying, you can't be right, but God can make you right. And he grabbed a hold of that, right? He says that he was devout in that. He took hold of that in his life. And then he was a man who was waiting. He had opened his heart and he said, Lord, when your timing, you do your work in my life whenever you want to. I will wait on you, but I'm opening up my life here this morning or today, he might say. And you might say, hey, I'm opening up my heart to you this morning to do the work that you desire to do in my life. And then it says he was waiting for the consolation or the one who would bring comfort. You know, it's interesting that this is probably um, 
this is the Christmas season is the most spectacular um, event of of Christian history, meaning that Jesus comes from his from the right hand of God and comes in the form of of a baby. The weakest thing in this world is a baby. It can't do anything, can't do anything on its own. Now, when it gets to be about a year or two years old, um, it believes that it is now Lord of the manor or Lordess of the manor or whatever that would be. But um, when we celebrate Christmas, it is supposed to be that expression, that great, the great revelation that the Messiah has finally come. Remember, the Jews now have waited. Uh, the Jews have waited uh, several thousand years, going back all the way to Genesis um, chapter 3. Um, they've waited about 4,000 years for this to happen. And it's also a time of great hurt and difficulty for a lot of people. Um, there are more people that go through, uh, through deep depressions during the time of Christ, uh, Christmas than any other time of the year. But what we should note and our encouragement should always be, if that's something that we struggle with or we know that somebody else struggles with it, we always have to point people towards what our hope is. Who's the consoler? Who's the one who can bring peace? Who's the one that ultimately matters in all of this? And that's where our hope and our trust and our faith has to be. It can never be in the things of this world because we can never have peace with the things of this world. We can never have full peace with relationships in this world, but we can have peace. Matter of fact, it's in John chapter 14, I believe it's around verse 26 or 27, that uh, Jesus says, "Um, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. He says, I don't give to you as the world does. What does the world give? The world gives heartache and despair and and depression. That's what we get from the world. But we don't get that from the Lord, do we? What we get is a constant reminder that in our insufficiency, his grace is sufficient to cover what? All of our sin for all of eternity because he has the eternal blood. And that's something that this man Simeon knew. So let's just recap one more time. He's a man who understood the word of God and it wasn't to be a life lived by do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs, but he understood the spirit of the law. And he understood that God was saying, you can never be my ideal man except through the Messiah. And then he clung to that great hope that God's Messiah would come one day. And then he was waiting for him and he'd opened up and he says, Lord, do it whenever you're ready because I'm ready to see the peace that you're going to bring to this world. Remember, isn't that what the angels said uh, to the, um, those shepherds out in the field? Peace on what? Earth, good will to men. And there's some question about the exact interpretation of that. I think that there's some reasonable um, uh, concern with that, but uh, it works for us. And it says this, that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Verse 25c, the Holy Spirit was on him. Isn't that great? Guys, Simeon was just a man, right? He was just a guy. But he was a guy who had opened up his heart to God's word and says, I want what you have for me. That's what we're entering into as we're going into the book of Joshua on Tuesday nights. It's saying, Lord, I want the life that you have for me. I don't want to live the life that I want for myself. I want the life that you have for me. And what it says about this man, Simeon, is he had the spirit of God upon him, right? Epi, it was coming upon him and it was directing his life. And it said in verse 26 then, 
It said it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Isn't that a wonderful promise that God gave him? You will see with your eyes the Savior of not only Israel but the world. You see, Simeon was a man who understood. Most of the Jews just believed, the majority of the Jews believed that the Messiah was just for Israel. But Simeon was a man because he clung to God's word. He looked at the spiritual reality of the world. He didn't get caught up in all the religiosity that that mankind had established there into Judaism and so forth. And God had given him a promise that you will not die before you see him. Well, verse 27 tells us this. It says he was then moved by the Holy Spirit. And that's the same concept there as after Jesus was baptized uh, by John the Baptist and brought out of the water. It said that then the Spirit led him out into the wilderness, right, for the 40 days of testing. Here is a man that he is, the Spirit's not only upon him, that the Spirit's also directing his life, moving him. It says moved by the Spirit, that great unction of God saying, hey, this is direction that you need to go. And I think, man, this guy had already such a, a, a spirit and a, and a word-driven life. I mean, this guy was experiencing a phenomenal relationship with God at this particular point. Hadn't even got to the whole relationship with, with the Savior yet. And it says that he was moved by the Spirit and he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon was there. Isn't that cool? And Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now, I have to say for just a second here, the filming must be, the replay might be a little interesting. Because here you have Mary and Joseph, right? They're not expecting to run into anybody else they know here in Jerusalem. Okay, they're from way, you know, from north. They're coming down. They're not experiencing, they're not expecting to run into anybody. And it says this, that as Simeon was directed to go up there onto the Temple Mount, that's where Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, they're carrying him up there, up to the Temple Mount. And next thing you know, Mary and Jesus are walking through the Temple Mount. They got their little eight-day baby boy, eight-day-old baby boy. And next thing you know, this guy walks up and he's like, Oh, man, praise the Lord. I mean, you have to be like, you know, Joseph may have been like, you know, kind of a, you know, Mary pulled out her kung fu and, you know, throwing stars and was, was ready to go, you know, mama mode protection. You guys know mama bird kind of a deal. I'm really kind of curious uh, how this played out here. I don't know if she did like, you know, a sweeping kick and, you know, tried to take him down or something. But anyways, all we know is this. It just says that Simeon took him. Simeon took him in his arms, and he praised God. Um, What I like about Simeon, I have it written like this. God's God's proclamation um, didn't produce relaxation in his life. But it produced a great expectation. You see, God told Simeon, you will see this child before you pass away. And Simeon could have taken that promise and he could have sat down and he could have started telling people, you know what, Uh, I had a a moment in the Lord back a couple weeks ago and God told me I won't die until I see the Savior. So I'm just going to go ahead and kick back here and wait and see. Simeon wasn't that kind of guy. God's proclamation didn't create a spirit of relaxation. It actually created a great expectation in his life of where might I go next? 
that I might see the Messiah. And I think from the time that God told Simeon that, I think he spent every moment of his life always looking around of, is that the Messiah? Is that the Messiah? Is that the Messiah? I mean, who knows how many times the Spirit led him to a certain place and then just kind of the Messiah wasn't there trying to see if he'd be faithful to obey the unction of the Holy Spirit, to just blindfully follow, faithfully follow God's, uh, God's messenger. And it says this as he grabbed the child. He pronounces, he begins to praise God. And he said, verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in what? Oh, Right? The consolation of Israel or the comforter or the one who would bring peace. And Simeon says this, I've seen him, I'm ready to go. It's kind of interesting that at that particular point, he was living on the promise that God had given him. When God had fulfilled the promise, he's he's like, I'm ready to go home. You have fulfilled your word. By the way, I like that phrase, as you have promised. And that is what our faith is built upon, guys. That is why we have uh, this scripture right here is to prove that God is always faithful to his word, right? He's always faithful. You're not going to find a time when he's not faithful to his word. There may be some scenarios where he hasn't fulfilled his word yet, but he's always faithful. And that is what our faith rests upon. Faith is being sure, right? Hebrews 11.1, faith is being sure of what? Of what we hope for. That's right. So he says this, proclaims, this word of praise towards God. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. You see, once again, just to remind you again, in Simeon's day, the Jews had a path to create their own salvation. And it was a salvation by works. It was a salvation by do's and don'ts. As a matter of fact, uh, today the observing Jews, they believe over in Israel, they believe that if everybody can obey God's word and not, not break one, for one day the Messiah will come back. They still think it's based upon what they do. But Simeon, the spirit of the law, right? Let me give you another example if the spirit of the law doesn't make much sense. Remember Jesus comes on the scene and he says, you have heard it said, dot, dot, dot. But I tell you, what Jesus was saying is, there's a way to look at God's word and be very legalistic about it by thinking if you do this or don't do that, it's going to make you right. But Jesus would essentially say, um, y'all are guilty of adultery. You're all guilty of murder. You're all guilty of hate. Although those men, according to their religious system, didn't believe it, the spirit of the law was trying to tell mankind, you can't be God's ideal picture. Not by your works, but you can by being a recipient of his grace. And he says, verse 30, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Meaning that God did this work in front of everybody. He's not hiding it. There's a religion today that has Jesus all held up in this secret place here in in the United States today. Jesus is hiding out and so forth. Um, But what God does has been very clear to mankind that he is after the hearts of all men. In verse 32, Simeon confirms that. He says, he's a light, this child. He is a light for revelation to the who? To the Gentiles. And the glory of your people, Israel. 
This was the crowning achievement of the nation of Israel to produce the Messiah through them. And let me say, they tried at every turn to uh, destroy God's plan of trying to produce a Messiah through them. It was only by God's grace that he would leave a remnant of them to be able to continue to work through. And guys, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel, sometimes as I look at my life, look back at my life, I think, man, how hard am I working against God's plan for my life? Um, even those times when I feel really good and, you know, kind of, you know, in the group, you look back and you're like, how hard am I trying to work against what God is doing? You see in the picture of Simeon, the open heart, the grabbing a hold of God's word, waiting expectantly for what God would do. And then he finally gets the opportunity and he begins to just sing a praise to God. And he says this, this is for the whole world. It's a gift for everybody. Now, let me just pause for a second, and this had not even come up into my mind until actually the last seven seconds. What it means is this. Jesus, and this is something that we struggle with, and we're going to have to find a balance here. Jesus came and died for Muslims. Did you know that? Yeah. It just came out. It was just released in the latest edition of Scripture that Jesus came to die for Muslims. Breaking news, you know, it's on the bottom of Fox News right there. There it is. Jesus came to die for Muslims. And it's not hard for us to say, yeah. Yeah, we know. He came and died for everybody. But what you have to check right now at this moment in your heart is how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? And that will give you a pretty good inclination about your closeness and your awareness of God in your life right now. That's going to be a really good indicator of if you have God's love um, abounding in your life. I'm not talking about saved, not saved. I'm talking about the love of God in your life for anybody. My friend Nasser um, has just recently, um, he's been called into the ministry um, uh, to reach out primarily. He's a converted Muslim. And, you know, he, he told me, he said, Steve, what you have to understand is Islam it's, um, it's, it's, it's nothing but chains and jail cells on people. It's all legalism. And he said it's fear because if you step out of line, people tell you you're going to go to hell, that you're going to spend eternity in the, in the flames of hell and so forth. Not much different than what has been taught in, you know, in Christianity in some regards. If you're not perfect, you know, you're going to lose your salvation and go to hell. But what he said is it's, it's people who are in bondage to sin, is what it is. And let me say what Satan has done most effectively, like I said, I didn't plan to say this at all. What Satan has done most effectively is he has taken some extremists and he has created fear in the hearts of Christians against anybody, against most people who look like they're from the Middle East, who can speak Arabic, who are a worshiper in Islam, and he has created terror and fear in the hearts of those Christians. When we think about the persecution in the early church, we're going through 1 Peter right now, right? Let's talk about the persecution that is to come. Guys, I want to encourage you that if your heart is hardened towards that people group, I encourage you to pray um, voraciously 
about the condition of your heart because it's not the condition of the Lord's heart, is it? It's condition of our flesh is what it is. And you and I are here for one sole purpose. And what is that purpose? The saving of many souls. That's what it is. The saving, Jesus says, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. He would say this, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, right? You know, those same words, we should be careful lest those words be spoken to the church today and the church says, well, we're saved, we're good to go, we're going to heaven because that's exactly the mentality of the Pharisees. That, hey, we're good to go. We've got the keys. We're good to go. And guys, you and I have to understand that Jesus came for everybody in this world. Does that make sense? He came, the person who's standing out on the street corner, he came for them. So we have to make sure to check our hearts when we're coming into those situations and check our hearts and make sure that we're not wandering according to the flesh, but that we're walking by the Spirit of God. Well, it says this, verse 33, off the soapbox. Verse 33 says this, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Can you imagine this guy walking up? You know, you're coming to church for baby dedication and somebody grabs your child and starts to proclaim these things. And it says Mary and Joseph are like set back like, whoa, what is this? Then verse 34, Simeon blessed them. First he praised God, then he blessed. He pronounced a blessing over Mary and Joseph. Man, what an opportunity they had that God had given them to, to, uh, to raise this child. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Meaning that Jesus is going to split it all up. Uh, Jesus is going to create uh, some friends. He's going to create some enemies. But he is going to become a person that primarily the nation of Israel is going to speak against him. And verse 35, I think, is probably the most pivotal verse in this whole chapter or in this whole section here. And it says this, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Jesus comes. God sends. Philippians 2 tells us that he forsook everything he had in the heavenly kingdoms. He took it all off, made himself a little even lower than the angels and he took flesh upon himself, Emmanuel, right? God with us, God in flesh. And then what Simeon says is this. This child is going to grow into a man. And the words that he proclaims to the human race, it's going to reveal the thoughts of the hearts of mankind. Have you found that about God's word to be true? That when you read his word and you actually seriously are reading it, when you seek me, you will what? Find me. When you're really seeking him, you'll find him. That when you expose yourself to the word, it often reveals your heart, doesn't it? Now, sometimes it's interesting because people say, well, I don't, I don't really like that. You know, uh, you know, I don't like that idea of you know, being confronted with my sin every week. How great it is that God's word has the ability to not say your sin verbally, but that you're dealing with it as his word speaks to you here. And it's the revealing of your heart. This Christmas season, as much as we struggle with trying to take Jesus and then 
this world commercialization system holiday and put all those things together, we really struggle with it, don't we? It's, it's hard for even the most devout family to be able to get a clearly defined separation of those two things. But I want you to think about Simeon this morning. When he thought about baby Jesus, he didn't think about, oh, cute little baby Jesus over there. Look, at he got cute little cheeks on him. Oh, goo, 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 kind of a deal. That's not how he was looking at baby Jesus. He wasn't looking at baby Jesus as, you know, three guys hanging around, which there's more than, you know, three wise men, you know, could have been. And um, he's not thinking about three wise men, you know, looming over him in the crib, which they weren't even there anyways. He's not thinking about the angels out there proclaiming a worship chorus to God, uh, to, the, uh, to the shepherds. He was a man who simply did this with his life. First and foremost, he understood that there is a spiritual emphasis behind all of God's word. He understood that God's word, it's much more than just the words on the pages, isn't it? Scripture would say this, his word is your life, is what Moses taught us in Deuteronomy. His word is life. It's your life. And mankind, and I've talked to a number of people who have read the pages in this book and did not get anything out of it. I've known a lot of Christians who spend time, much time reading the word, but it has no transformational work because they're reading it as a book instead of understanding it's their life. And this is God's ideal for man. And this is what God desires. You see, we can never be perfect in this world, but God's certainly going to give it his best shot to transform us into the closest we can be in this world to being like his son. And you know what the purpose of that is? Once again, our singular purpose in this world, the saving of many souls, leading people to the Lord. So I want you to think about Simeon this Christmas. I want you to think about he saw the spiritual, he saw the divine nature of God's word. It wasn't about rules and regulations and right and wrong. It was about that I can never be God's ideal image, but Christ Jesus has become that for me and he imparts that ideal image onto me and that's how the father now sees me. He sees me, he sees you as sinless perfection if you're a child of God. He was also a man that was devout, which meant this, he did what? He grabbed a hold of that truth. Guys, that is what he lived his life on, that he could never be right with God except through God's Savior. And that was the basis of his whole life. And he grabbed a hold of it and said, I'm not letting go. Then it says this. He was waiting. What did I say waiting meant? He opened his heart ready to receive what God was going to give him. Guys, right now, that is one of the challenges that I want to challenge you with here this morning is, is your heart open and ready to receive what God wants to do in it? Now, let's take a, let's take a step beyond because I think that everybody in here would proclaim to be, to be saved. The question is this, have you opened your heart to God to radically transform your life? Or is your Christian life the Christian life of, well, you know, I'm saved and I kind of do the church thing and making my way through the world today. It's taking everything I got and 
you know, trying to take a break from all my worries, you know, and so forth. Is that what life is? Or is life for you as a believer is the one like Simeon who's opened up his heart and said, Lord, whatever you want to bring into me, I give you the right. I beg you to please do your work in my life. Because this morning you either have an open heart to the transformational work of God or you have a closed heart to the transformational work of God. And the last week that you've lived is going to tell you if you have open heart or closed heart. I want you to note this. In Revelation, and we're all familiar, behold, I stand at the door and what? Knock. Remember, who's Jesus saying that to? Saying it to believers. I'm standing at your door knocking. If you'll open up the door, require something of men, right? If you'll open up the door, I'll come in and I'll have fellowship with you. I'll be one with you. And that's what Simeon was craving in his life, to have that intimate fellowship with God. Not, not the external, but what could happen here on the internal. And he was waiting for that which would give him peace in his life. You may be unsettled in your life, things that you go through. I talked about the unsettledness of the Christmas season. You know what? I think it's a great time to allow the Lord to settle some things in your life and in your heart if they need to be settled. Some things that the Lord is saying, you know what? Let's go ahead and set this at my feet and let's go ahead and walk and you trust in me the rest of your life. Wouldn't that be a great place to live the rest of your life? Putting all your worries. He says, cast your cares where? On me. Cast your cares on him, scripture says, because he cares for you, right? And then, the, and then the consolation. And then the verse 35, kind of the fifth thing here. The whole point of all of this is that the reality of what's going on in your heart this morning, it's being exposed by God's word, isn't it? Think about the last week, the last two weeks, the last three weeks. Has it been, has it been a heart of grace and love and compassion of mercy, those things that are of the spirit of God, that nature of Christ Jesus? Or, it has, been, or has it been the nature of the flesh that has been ruling and reigning? Your mouth will give you a good indication. If you have a spouse, they'll be able to indicate where you're at. If you have a close friend, they'll be able to indicate where you're at. You just have to listen to somebody just a little bit. And all of this comes to the simple point. This man was just simply living his life with great expectancy, great expectation for the Lord to come and do something great in his life. Now, he was looking ahead. We, in one sense, are looking behind, aren't we? Because that work has been accomplished on the cross for us, right? Now, I said that God's proclamation, how did I say this? Um, God's proclamation did not create relaxation in his life. Another thing I want to challenge you with is, have you become relaxed with God's promises in your life? Or are you living with an eager expectation that God, that he who began a good work in you is going to what? He's going to continue to transform your life. And guys, what I want you to know is baby Jesus came into this world. Jesus came into here, into this world to transform your life and to continue doing that work from the first day that you said, I do, to the day that he either raptures you or takes you out of here by death. One or the other. But here's the question. Here's the challenge. Are you allowing 
Are you allowing Jesus the Christ to radically transform your life still today? I'm not talking about what he did a year ago or five years ago or some truths that he taught you. I'm saying today, is it the desire of your heart to see that it's by the grace of God you have what you have and that's what you hang on to the grace and now you're waiting and you're saying, you know what, continue to do more in me as I wait for the comforter of comforters, the one to return and call me home. Lord, this morning... He projects his word into our hearts. He reveals so much. I want you to know this. And then we're going to enter into communion. I want you to know this. It is his desire to absolutely bring you into a life that is filled with joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. It is his desire to turn you into a picture of a little Jesus. Scripture would tell us, Peter said, desire, Scripture tells us, desire as infants, pure spiritual milk. And guys, let me say, this right here is pure spiritual milk. This is milk right here. We're never supposed to desire. We're supposed to go on to meat and so forth, but there's always the need for milk. And guys, this is it. And for some of us here this morning, we may need to step back to square one and say, you know what? I went on to start trying to eat some bigger meals, but these simple, basic things in my life of just clinging to the word of God and opening my heart and saying, Lord, I need you to do this. That's the whole picture of baby Jesus coming into this world. It's saving their people from their, what? Sin. King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's go ahead and stand. Carrie, if you jump back there. I want you to consider, if you've got your notes open there, you highlighted or marked in your Bible, I want you to think about those three or four things that we, that we stuck on about Simeon's life. His great desire, he realized he needed the Lord more than anything else in his life. He needed the Lord what? More than anything anything else in his life. And he lived his life in expectation to see the Lord. He was more excited about that than anything else in his life. He was more excited about that than what? Anything else in his life. My hope and prayer is that as the rest of this day and maybe even tomorrow, hopefully it doesn't fall by the wayside before then. Hopefully you can carry this for forever with you, but the reality is, is most of this will be set to the wayside and we'll go on with our daily activities and so forth. Where's your heart this morning when you got up knowing it was Christmas Day? Was it like Simeon saying, thank you, God, just for what you have done has been done in the public eye for the saving of the world. You are the Savior. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. Where was your heart this morning on the day that we as Christians say that we're celebrating the birth, the coming of the Messiah into the world? And I want to encourage you this. If your heart is not open to him transforming your life, please do that today. That's what this is all about, isn't it? First for salvation and then for sanctification, the transforming of your life. New Year's, I don't believe in resolutions, but I do believe it's a great marker in our lives. And guys, we have to just be honest with ourselves, right? Because God's always honest with us. 
what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and do communion together. You guys fine with that? Okay. Um, going to go ahead and uh, participate in communion. Um, I've got a song. Uh, Carrie's going to go ahead and turn a song on here in just a second. You guys kind of know the routine. Uh, when you're ready, the song's probably about three or four minutes long. And uh, you can go on back there, get a little piece of uh, a cracker and, and some juice, come on back up to your chairs. Uh, if you want to spend some time in prayer, you can sit and pray, you can kneel and pray, you can even come up here and pray uh, if you want to. I encourage you to not zone out, but I encourage you to engage right now. Be a Simeon and expect God to do something that is beyond what you ever thought he would do even here the next few minutes that we have. Don't make this communion routine. Make it something exceptional. Go ahead, Carrie.